Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash US slash get QR code. This is episode number 54 with our guest, James Drury. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Hey there, guys. Thanks for tuning in and joining us. You're tuned right into The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. My guest today lives by the motto, you can never know enough people and teaches the art of genuine communication. First of all, I love that he acknowledges it is an art and we'll certainly dive deep into that aspect of things. I'm talking about James Drury. He's an educator, a speaker who works with groups and individuals to help them understand the value of knowing more people. Why? In order for them to grow personally and professionally. James believes and practices the theory of you can never know enough people on a daily basis. For the record, I am fascinated by all of that because I feel like I only know like my two children and my wife. That's one, two, three people. So I'm excited to know more people. He speaks to groups of all sizes, teaching the idea that business relies upon meeting new people and retaining a relationship with those you have met. Fascinated overall. Let's get right into this. Help me welcome our guest today. It is James Drury. What's going on, James? Well, right now, Josh, I know it's being recorded, but we've got a lot of snow. I live outside of Chicago, and uh, I did take out the Honda snowblower and took care of the five to eight inches in my, uh, in my yard, so I'm ready to, uh, to talk, and let's get going. All right, so you are the man who says you can never know enough people. And I'm, I'm very intrigued by that because personally, especially, uh, you know, in, in, in earlier days, I found it so difficult to connect with people. I felt very isolated uh, until I sort of worked on my uh, inner self and got through some insecurities and issues on that end. But when you talk about never knowing enough people, where, how do we define knowing someone? I define it is like this. People do business with people they like. And if you like someone, you're going to do business with them. So when you meet them, you're going to know in a few seconds whether or not you want to do business with them. How do they shake hands with you? What's their handshake like? What is their facial responses like? 
Are they looking at you? You know, I, I met a guy one time uh, for a, a business deal. He shook my hand and he's looking over to his left. I'm going, did I do something? And I asked someone in, the com in his company later, I said, what? He goes, oh, that's the way he, that's the way he is. And I said, well, you know, it's been nice. Thank you for coming, but mm. we can't do business like this. You either talk to me or not. And how that you, is okay. How do you account for, so I'm guessing by definition, um, the uh, 1,100 friends I have on Facebook, do they not count towards the people I know? I say no. I'm going to say no. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this. How many people, this is my definition, how many people could you call if you needed to be bailed out of jail? How I many would it. come and help you out? I love it. Yeah. You know? And normally it's about four to maybe seven tops. I mean, statistics bear me out on this. And so those are the people that are really into your life, you know, in your family, or in maybe even outside of your family. You've got a core group of people that you deal with all the time. I have a core group of people that I deal with on a weekly basis. And then some of them go back 10, one goes back 30 years. And I know that if I had to call them and, and help me out doing anything, they're going to be here for me. And you're many people on Facebook, they could be around the country, but how many people, Josh, are really, they care about you, Josh. They care about you and they want to help. When Josh needs help, I'm in the car driving while you're, you know, finishing telling me why you need help. That's my definition. So the idea is um, quality over quantity. Four to seven is really all we really need. Four to seven is probably all you have. And it's all you have. And as I look around in my life, people around me in their life, it usually comes down to four to seven people that they can really count on. If your back's against the wall, uh, they're going to help you out. They're going to give you advice. They're going to say, hey, Jim, did you call this person? You know, call that person. They may be helpful to you. All right. That's where I'm at, about four to seven. And, and right now, I've got about seven people in my life outside of my family that, um, that I deal with on a weekly basis. And I consider them close friends. Now, that changes through as life changes. You may move. You know, people move. You, your interests may change. And so you're not in the same uh, social, social circle. You may not be in the same club. For example, I'm in the Porsche Club here in Chicago. Been a member for 18 years. And I hang around with a lot of people from the Porsche Club because we have a, you know, commonality here. We have an interest in our cars. And so it's the, it's the people, it's not the cars that, uh, you know, the cars bring us together, but it's the people that keep the whole thing going. And so where am I, where am I going out to find these people who would ultimately bail me, bail me out in jail? Okay. In my world, I look at it as the people who are in the, that I've met through the Porsche club. It's people who I've met outside of the Porsche club, and it just comes down to there's four to seven people. Some are in the club, some are not, that I can count on. And there's a fellow that I only see maybe three times a year. He lives five miles from me. I call him Fidel. And I talk to Fidel, and I've known him for, uh, I don't know how many years. 
but we talk to each other at least two times a week, sometimes three. And, but we don't see each other. But if I needed something, I'd call him up, say, Joe, I need you here now. Don't ask any questions. Just get in your car and get over here. And he would do that. And I would do that for him too. Um, I can think of another friend of mine who just moved to Florida. And, you know, if Paul called me up, I call him Indiana Jones. So if uh, Indiana Jones would call me up and say, Jim, I need you down in Sarasota. Okay, I'll get back to you in an hour. I'll be on a flight as soon as I can. What do you need? Just tell me. There are just certain people in your life that you can count on and you can enjoy. But in business, Josh, this is the difference. You know, you go to a, a trade show, you're at a convention, you meet people. And how do you start that conversation? One of the things that I've always enjoyed doing is uh, when I'm standing in line and the line is long, I turn around, talk to the person behind me and say, how you doing? And they'll go, fine. I'm going to say, I don't know if you knew this, but I'm the one who invented standing in line just to start a conversation. <laughs> and that'll give, wind up getting my, you know, I give them my business card. Who knew? Who knew? The uh, other thing is that when I see people at a convention or a trade show when I'm making a speech, and I say, look, you're here to meet people. You're here to learn, but you're here to meet people. So, would you just take a second and talk to that person on your left, talk to that person on your right, exchange business cards. But here's the key that I found, that I believe. After you introduce yourself and you had a little conversation, you have their business card. What you need to do is follow up. Now, I'm not suggesting that you follow up. This is business on Facebook or Instagram or even LinkedIn initially. How about writing them a little note, send it to their business address. Hey, Josh, it was great meeting you. We talked about this. I'd like to follow up with you because I think we might have some synergy here. Hope you're having a great week. T catch up with me. You know, James Drury and my business cards in there. That personal touch is lacking today. Everyone's doing things online. I mean, you can go to my webpage. You can send a, a little thank you note for free on my webpage. But I believe that people still like to get something in the mail. I mean, it sounds, it's real personal. It's real, you even do both. And that way you can connect with someone. They went, oh, that person, you know, you know Jim went out of his way to, to reach out to me. Yeah, I wanna follow up with him. It's that, still that personal touch. It's still that personal touch. Hmm. I'd love to go back a little bit and uh, see how you got here to where you are today. Take us back, if you will, to James Drury as a young child. What was that boy like? Well, I will tell you a story, Josh, and it took me a lot of years to figure out how I got to this point. And, and I will give, it, give you the Reader's Digest version. When I was a kid, my grandfather lived next door to me. And the story is this. One day he came over and asked my mother, if he could take young James out for the day and, and show him some things. Mom said, sure, okay. So we went down the street where they were stocking a fish pond. And so my grandfather goes up to this guy and goes, hey, bub, what are you doing here? What's going on? Well, we're stocking the, the, uh, the pond with fish, the lake with fish. Oh, yeah? Well, where'd they come from? The guy said, they come from a fish farm. Well, I was somewhere between the ages of six and eight or nine. I'm going, fish farm? No, fish 
don't come from farms. But the point here was he just went up and started talking to this fellow. The next, get in the car, we go to another place. There's three parts, three, three vignettes. We get into the car, we go to a train wreck. And this is in the south suburbs of Chicago. And this is before everyone put up barrier tape and yellow vests. And we're walking among this train wreck. And he's going up to people, going, hey, Bub, what happened here? Hey, Bub, this, hey, Bub, that. I'm going, okay. Finally, we go to a place called, I'm going to use their name, Gus Bach Hardware in Lansing, Illinois. It's still around. In fact, I'm going to do a book signing there in about a month. And we go in and he's, hey, Bub, how you doing? Hey, Bub, haven't seen you in a long time. And this and that, he introduces me as, as his grandson. And uh, go home. My mother says, so how was your day with grandfather? I said, was tremendous. We went here, we went there, we went here, and he knows everyone. What do you mean he knows everyone? He knows everyone and everyone's named Bub. Now, Josh, I've had the opportunity to travel all over the country for business, uh, uh, most of the countries in Europe. I've really never met anyone named Bub. But the point here is it took me years to figure out that he had a natural way of talking to people. He was unafraid to just go up and start that conversation. And when you, you know, as a, as a young, young child, we learn by observing and listening. And I observed, I listened and said, well, if he can do it, I should do it. That's what I should be doing because that's what grandfather does. But it took me a lot of years, Josh, to understand what he was doing and why I am the way I am. I, people always ask me, I remember I was on a flight with a dear friend of mine, and he said, and I was talking to somebody, I was talking to flight attendants, I was talking to him. He goes, do you talk to uh, anyone? I said, Brian, I talk to everyone. Because you just never know where your next idea is going to come from, where your next business idea is going to come from. You just never know. And it's great fun. I, I, I challenge you. I challenge, stand in line, Josh. If the line's not moving, turn around and say, hi, my name's jo uh, Josh Carey, and I invented standing in line. I guarantee. <laughs> the other one I like to do is when I walk into an elevator that's crowded, I don't turn around. I face the back. You face the back. <laughs> I got it. Hi, how you doing? Good to see you. How's your day going? <laughs> it, Someone said, Jim, you just like to mess with people. Well, no. Well, yeah, okay, a little bit. But net, net, if I can bring a little fun into life, because everyone's standing there, you know, they're going, oh, God, waiting for the elevator. You know, just this idiot walks in. He's talking to everybody. Who was hurt? No I, one was. I have to agree. I, I see a lot of me in you. I certainly to the detriment uh, of my wife and some friends that I've been around. I too just love acknowledging, interacting, engaging, talking with anybody and everybody. Just, it just, it, it's just, yeah, like you said, it's fun. I, I, I thrive on that. Someone said, asked me about my theory of, of, you know, just talking to everyone. And I said, I've, over the years, I said, it just came, it came to me while I was on a walk in Spain. I walked the Camino de Santiago in Spain. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's a 500-mile yeah. pilgrimage through northern Spain. Oh, wow. So I was walking, and I was thinking about 
just about every person that I'd ever met in my life. It took about 500 miles to figure that out. But the question I wound up asking myself this was this, did I ever do anything to Josh that would negatively impact his life or positively impact his life? Because if I said something or I did something, and I, it comes down to ethics and morals and tenets, if I did something that impacted your life in a negative way, it could have impacted your spouse, your children, your grandchildren. It's like ripples in a pond. And it changed the way that I think on every person I talk to. I don't want to be that person that impacted someone's life in a negative way. I don't know if I could live with myself if I knew that. It, you know, it, it's just the way I think. It's just the, how I, what I believe. How much of this is a born trait or uh, a personality that you either have or you don't? And how much of this is learnable? I think it's learnable. It's an art, not a science. It's not reproducible. How I do it, you may not be able to do it, Josh, or anyone watching this. It's an art. And it's an art that you have to practice. And you have to believe it in your soul. You have to really believe it in your soul that I want to talk to that person and smile. I mean, my God, everyone's just kind of uh, 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 today. And I just want to, someone said, you're like the Pied Piper of a smile. And I said, no, I don't look at it that way. I just look at it as, you know, that person may have some information that would help me. That person may tell me something that I didn't know. Mm. Wow, that's great. That's great. I, I, I want to be a big sponge and absorb as much as I can. But it's the art, and you have to practice it over and over again. Now, I was with a friend of mine in uh, at a grocery store. I was at the, del at the uh, bakery counter, and he was in the middle or just came off of a, a bad divorce. And I was getting my, uh, I was having him, him, him over for dinner and uh, this uh, person behind the counter handed me the, uh, the bakery goods that I, I ordered. And I turned to my left and there was a young lady. She was kind of attractive. And I said, um, could you hold this for a second, please? So, the guy, so we walk out, he goes, did you know her? I said, no. He goes, well, why did you ask her to hold it? I said, well, you're single. And she's cute, and I didn't see any jewelry on her left hand. So I thought, well, maybe if I talked to her, you would have walked over and said, well, here, let me take that and start a conversation. He goes, how do you think? You don't think like normal people. I said, I'm trying to get you a date, and you're berating me. <laughs> What's going on here? Between how much I know of you today and this experience and the grandfather story, was there a time early on in your life or career where you, you couldn't bring this to the table because you were just uh, frozen beyond, uh, behind fear or you were in a down spiral? Any of that happened? Yes. Yes. And that happened when I started a business. I started three businesses after 50. And the, fir I, the first one was a spectacular failure. <laughs> there were fireworks that went so bad. 
There should be a national holiday of the day that Jim really screwed up here. <laughs> and I went, it took me a year to figure out I was just in a funk. I was just in a funk. And I'll tell you what happened. This is the story. I think I, in my bio, I told you I am a, a professional auctioneer. Mm -hmm. I, okay. So here in Illinois, we have to take continuing education classes every two years. So that means I had to get in my car and drive downstate for two hours, stay in a flea bag motel, and, you know, just take my time over three days. It, uh, anyway, I called up the state and I said, um, do I need a license to teach CE or auctioneers? And she said, well, you have to show a competency. Now, Josh, I was told that you never answer a question with a question. And I said, I'm sorry, but I have to ask you a question. I need you to define your terms. <laughs> what? She goes, well, how about um, uh, education? I said, master's degree, hours towards a PhD, I'll never finish. I've taught at the college level, and I've been an auctioneer for, at that point, 12 years. And she goes, you're qualified. I said, okay. Then she said, why don't you start your own school? I said, whoa. Well, I said, that's not why I called. but." If I was to start my own school, it would have to be online. Now, keep in mind, this is like seven and a half years ago before all the ads were on TV for, you know, Southern New Hampshire University and so on. And she goes, that's what I'm talking about. No one's doing that. Really? I said, I'll call you in a month. I called her in 30 days. I said, I have a demo video up. I've written four classes. I have all the forms filled out. I said, do I put them in a FedEx box and ship them downstate? She said, you're kidding. I said, no, I'm ready to go. I just need final approval. The point here is, is that I just called up and started talking to this woman. And I had talked to her in the past. She was very nice and a person that, you, you know, you felt like you could reach out to. And I reached out to her and it's changed my life. I started a business on a phone call. It's still going and it's growing. You can never know enough people, Josh. You just never know where your next idea is going to come from. My goodness, there's so much here, so much good here. And I know that like we didn't even, we, we just, just started unraveling like everything. There is so much. How could we put all this? If you had to wrap all of this up into a nice clean bow for the person listening, what should they take away from all of this dialogue today? As the wise old Greek told me at a restaurant in Calumet City, Illinois, many years ago, he said, he's the one who told me the line, you can never know enough people. He told me something else that I won't tell you. I'll tell you offline. <laughs> and um, just don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to fail. If someone doesn't want to talk to you, just, eh, that's their loss. I have no fear about I have no fear of failure because I look at it as a learning experience. I have no fear about going up to a stranger and start talking to them. I just don't seem to have that fear. Now, have I been rejected? Oh, God, yes. I mean, that's just life. That's why it's an art. It's not a science. But your life can change. Your entire family can change. Just try it. 
try it. Walk into that elevator, look at the back and say, how's everyone doing today? Great day, isn't it? <laughs> and they'll just look, who's this idiot? But they may even talk, hey, there was this guy in the elevator. He walks in, looks in the back. He may, they may tell their friends and they're going to walk out with a positive attitude. But, I, but Josh, if, if I can, the thing that really gets me is that when you talk to someone and you're having a conversation with them, remember what you say to them. If it's hurtful, if it's negative, what impact is that going to have? Not on that, just on that person, but everyone around them for maybe generations. And I, ask, I just ask people, take a few minutes to, or just a, a microsecond, a nanosecond to think about what you're going to say. You know, get your brain engaged before you open your mouth. It's all pretty simple stuff. Mm. It's pretty simple stuff. Wow. To say you are likable, James Drury, is an understatement. I fell in love with you from minute one, and it's only growing. You're such a um, – there's so much to you. I can't wait to continue the dialogue. I want to thank you for, for being here today and for sharing, sharing all of this with our listeners today. Thank you so much. Josh, it has been a real pleasure on my end also. Thank you very much. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. If you enjoyed it, take one piece of action. Put one thing into place. You don't have to have the complete picture. Just get one thing into the world, out into the world, and make good happen. We're going to make good happen real soon. Until we do, thank you so much for tuning in. Go get them. Hey there, everybody. Thank you for joining us and tuning in to this episode of the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. After the recording, we have our guest, James Drury. Drury, am I saying it correct? Drury? Drury, yeah, not Drury. No, never Drury, all Drury. I've got James Drury here. We just finished recording the episode. How do you feel? How'd you like that? I liked it a lot. Um, I do have a couple of things I'd like to share with, uh, with your audience. You That's know, what we're here I, for. One of the things I talk about is I've been called the mature entrepreneur because I started three businesses over the age of 50. Hmm. And people have asked me, well, you know, do you have any tenants? And I said, well, Moses had 10 commandments. I have five. <laughs> Love it. So I'd like to share those with you because a lot of people, if anyone is watching this over the age of 50 or maybe a little younger, but at some point, I, it's been my experience that everyone has this urge to be an entrepreneur. They want to do their own thing. You're doing your thing, what you enjoy. You're having fun. I can tell you have fun. You're smiling. You bounce around. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a blast too. Thankfully, I do. I have five commandments. Commandment number one, if you want to be an entrepreneur, don't think that you can buy a business or buy a job. Buying a business does not mean you're buying a job. If you're in a, working for a corporation, stop and think about all the benefits you have. You could have a 401k, you have a paid vacation time, you have this, you have sick time. So if you buy a business, your time is not going to be your own. It's going to be a 24-7 operation. And if you buy a business, you're, you, know, you got to make sure that you can pay for your bills. You, you may be financing the business. So I want everyone to stop and think. 
I've seen people buy ice cream franchises in Chicago and quit their day job. It's Chicago. It gets cold. If you want to sell ice cream, go to Key West, <laughs> go to Florida, go anywhere. But those winter months, I don't want ice cream. <laughs> just... So let's think about that, okay? When I got into business, I had a fellow, the, the broker said, Jim, do not buy this business unless you can buy the brick and mortar. I said, why is that? He said, well, if you don't like the business, sell off the business and you still have the brick and mortar asset and maybe sell off the business to someone else or lease out the space to someone else, but you have an asset. I said, let's sage advice. My first two businesses that I purchased in my late thirties, I bought the land. To go along with that, if you can find some uh, piece of, if there's a piece of property that, that you wanna buy, if the owner owns it free and clear, Try to cut a deal with them where you can, uh, he'll carry the paper. You can usually pay the thing off in five to seven years if you have a business going in there. So that's what I did. Uh, the third one is uh, if you have, if you pick up a side business, and a lot of people have internet businesses. I think the internet is just wonderful because it's, it's given people more uh, opportunities to have a little side, side gig going on. But if you do that, I'm going, and once again, I've seen this happen. They've had a wonderful little side gig going on and they told everyone at work. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I had a side gig going for 20 years. I never told anyone. Why? Because the employer's going to think, well, they're not giving me 100% of his, their time and they're more concerned about their business and how much of their business are they trying to operate on my time? And then if there's cutbacks coming, well, you're going to be the first one on tap because, oh, you've got that side gig going on. You know? Oh, you don't need a raise because you've got a side interest uh, where you're making some extra money. Shut up. Don't tell anyone. It's not their business. So that's another one of my big ones. The other one I discovered is that uh, I was at a conference up in uh, Novi, Michigan last fall. People don't incorporate if they have a side business or even if they have a business. I, would, I, I sat there and I raised my hand right away. I said, I forgot the guy's name. It's not important. I said, are you telling me that in your position, people are starting businesses without incorporating an LLC, blah, blah, blah. He goes, I'm telling you that's true. I said, please tell me some of these people because I want a new Porsche. I want to get hurt. I want a new Porsche. <laughs> And he, he said, yeah, but a lot of them are running out of their used pickup truck. I said, but my God, I, I, I just, it's so easy to incorporate. It is so easy. And make sure you're, you know, you got your taxes lined up, get your tax ID number. It's very simple, oh, yeah. but people don't do it, Josh. I'm mm -hmm. astonished. I am truly astonished. It's just kind of like, how did I know this? Well, I read a lot. <laughs> So those are some of my commandments. Just, yeah. Is that something, especially that last one, do you think that that's a, um, an issue of you don't know what you don't know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's the old saying that uh, there are those who don't know and those who don't know, and the most dangerous people are the ones who don't know they don't know. Mm. Yeah. Let me hear about this. Uh, something you brought up during the show was uh, a 500 mile pilgrimage through Spain. Right. 
The Camino de Santiago. The Camino de Santiago was started about the time of Charlemagne. And it, is a, uh, it started off as a Catholic pilgrimage to the Cathedral of St. James in Santiago, Spain. And that's where it terminates. And um, the traditional walk starts in the south of France. You uh, walk through or over the Pyrenees. I walked through the Pyrenees. And um, it took me two trips to complete my uh, Camino. And you get a, uh, um, a Compostela. You get a certificate of completion, which I have on my right here hanging on the wall. I'm very proud of that. But what it comes down to is it's, it's a time to think. And I, I wanted at that point in my life, uh, I will share with you, I was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, I needed to just stop and think about my life. Hmm. And uh, it, uh, it cleared up a lot of things. It, it uh, opened my eyes to a lot of things. And remember I mentioned about all the people that I've met and how I you know, hopefully I impacted them in a, in a good way. Uh, what I learned is that I like hiking, solo hiking. Uh, two years ago, 2017, I walked the Wicklow Way in Ireland. And that is a 77-mile hike through the Wicklow Mountains south of Dublin. Damn near killed me. I found out on day two that I wasn't supposed to be walking it alone because it's too dangerous. <laughs> Some, somewhere along the line, I missed, I, I missed class that day. Uh, but uh, I, I had a farmer pick me up, and he, I, he said, uh, can I help you? I flagged him down. I said, uh, I said, I said, where am I? He goes, why? You're in Ireland. And I looked at him. I said, I'm in Ireland? He goes, yes, you are. I said, you're a smartass. And he said, but I'm, you're still in Ireland. And I, he said, you're walking the Wicklow Way. And I said, yes. He said, you're supposed to be walking those three mountains over there. Mm. And I said, oh, I made a wrong turn. He said, yeah, and you're not supposed to be walking this alone because I wouldn't be up in those mountains today. It was, the rain was sideways, Josh. Mm. And he said, you break a leg, you snap an ankle, there's no phone service. You either crawl out or die. He said, get in the truck, I'm going to take you to your end point. So he took me to my endpoint. Um, it was very challenging. I did not know that peat grows on the side of a mountain in Ireland. I thought it was in a bog. What do I know? Uh, I will tell you that I've never saw so many sheep and sheep droppings in my entire life. I'm a city boy. <laughs> I want to ask about the, um, if, if I connected this correctly, the 500-mile pilgrimage through Spain, you were drawn to that because of the cancer diagnosis and you found, out as, and you found that as a way to, to get your mind in order? Yes. What did you, yeah. That's absolutely true. What did you, what were you hoping for? Were you scared out of your mind? Were you like, oh, this is going to do it for me? And what was the result of it all? Did you, did, did it work? It did work. It, it, um, it pushed me to my physical limits. I'd never been pushed to my physical limits. Same and way that's important? That, at that point it was because mm -hmm. I'm going, hey, you know, I could be dead in 36 months. Um, it kind of puts everything into perspective, but I am okay. They've given me a clean bill of health. It's five years. Yeah, right on. And, uh, but when you, you have your mortality facing you at any age, you just, you're trying to run from it. I just wanted to think about all the people that I met. 
I just wanted to make sure in my mind, am I going to, should I call up somebody and say, you know, I did something I shouldn't have done to you. It was that important to me. And that changed the way I think about my business. Uh, I'll go out of my way to help my clients. They know that. Uh, that's why my business is growing. And it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. You know, it's easier to be nice than be not nice in my world, in my world. Either today and or back then with, the, uh, with that era, are you and were you spiritual or religious in any ways? Raised Catholic, but I have a non-practicing Catholic card in my wallet. The card. Yeah, the card, yeah. In case of emergency, don't bother calling a priest. <laughs> uh, I'm not a spiritual guy, but I do believe in fate. There was something, I do believe, things, have, things happen in everyone's life, and if you don't recognize it, if you stop and think about it, at least in my opinion, things happen for a reason. And what's that reason? We don't know. When I found out about it, I had an immediate connection with it. I was drawn to it. And I, I, was, I found out about it at a conference. I made a speech out in Iowa. And the, one of the speakers, keynote speakers on Saturday had walked it. And his keynote revolved around his experience on the Camino. Now, Josh, a month later, a friend of mine calls me. He said, on a Friday afternoon, and he said, hey, Jim, you want to go out and grab a quick nine holes of golf this afternoon? I said, yeah. I said, let's do it. So we met, and uh, so we're walking the nine holes, and I said, uh, Tom, I said, you know, I was out in Ames, Iowa, and I made this speech, and there was this guy talking about this Camino de Santiago. I said, have you ever heard of this thing? And he goes, no, no. So we're walking and walking. We get to the third hole, and uh, as we're walking, uh, Tom says, hey, Jim, do you know these other two guys we're golfing with? I said, no, never saw them before. Why? He said, I overheard them talking about a walk. I said, interesting. Walked up to him. I said, excuse me, gentlemen. I said, my friend Tom here overheard you, talk, you two talking about a walk. Would you happen to be talking about the Camino de Santiago in Spain? And they looked at me, and they said, why, yes. A friend of ours just completed it. I was floored. I was floored. Um, a dear friend of mine passed away. I went down to, uh, uh, to an event for representing him down in Houston, Texas, with his, uh, meet with his widow. And her brother, her sister and brother-in-law came over and uh, sat down with us and uh, blah, 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 this and that. And so she said to her brother-in-law, you're from Spain. Are, are you from Santiago? Because Jim, he, he goes, well, yeah. And he looked at me and she said, he's walking the Camino. It, uh, Josh, there were five things that happened in my world after I found about, uh, about the Camino. And it was just, I have to do this. I mean, fate is telling me I have to do this. So I did it. What was the spectacular failure of a business? I had never failed in any business I had started. And I was a little cocky. And uh, I decided that in, uh, what, what Chicago needed was a clearinghouse, an auction house 
for motorsports, motorcycles, power sports, say under under fifty thousand dollars. Sounds logical. I thought so. I invest. <laughs> I investigated it, and um, I started this auction company, Right Again Auctions, and the whole thing crashed and burned. I couldn't get people to uh, consign. I couldn't get people to buy. And it just got to the point, I said, I'm into this for six numbers and uh, it's time to pull the plug and just call it a day. Why do you think that was? You couldn't get people to buy or sign? I, I asked myself that question for a couple of years and I found the answer about two years after I closed it. I opened the business the exact same month the Great Recession started. Hmm. And what happened was, is that people who bought a Harley and they wanted to sell it, and there were a lot of tradesmen who purchased, say, a, a, a muscle car under 50000 or a brand new Harley or a boat. Well, they're upside down on these things. And, you know, they're, they're calling me and they want me to save their soul, their financial soul. And I said, you bought a Harley for 20, you've had it for six months, and you bought a couple thousand dollars worth of accessories, so you're in for 22,000, and how much did you put down? A dollar down and a dollar a week. I said, the thing's only worth about 12,000. It can't be. I said, I can show you the books. <laughs> I can show you where, I, what am I going to do? I said, hell, I, I don't know, maybe you could give it back. But I can't make, make this work. And that's what happened, is that they were so in debt on these things that I couldn't save them. And no one had any money. Everyone was afraid to do anything. And so that's, that's what happened. That's I, love, what, I love that you spoke about a couple of times, you brought up the phrase that it's an art and not a science when we're talking about um, communication and that sort of a thing. What does that really uh, translate to mean? It's an art and not a science. What do we make of that statement? You have to practice it every day. Uh, you have to, when you go to the grocery store, when you're at the pharmacy, when you're getting gas, you know, my girlfriend wants to know, how do you know the people at the gas station? She never likes to go with me to the bank because she knows that she's going to be sitting in the car for about 45 minutes because I have to work the room, Josh. <laughs> I get, you know, hey, Carol, how's the new grandchild? Ah, oh, Jim, you know, everything's good, you know? <laughs> You have to work the room. I love I that admission. I get it. I get it. We were at a wedding and, and she was talking to someone. I was bored out of my head. I guess I, I got to make some fun here. And, you know, 45 minutes later, she goes, you left me there. I said, I was bored out of my mind. She goes, well, who are these people? Well, this is so-and-so and so-and-so and so. This is, this is Lisa, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Josh. It's just too much fun. <laughs> and, but you have to keep doing it. And you know, maybe it's because I, I, I don't want to be the life of the party. I don't want to be you know, the corpse at every funeral and the bride at every wedding. But I, I do want to meet some people. I want to have some fun. And oh, just what the hell, right? <laughs> do you ever find yourself just, you know, I'm just not in the mood. I'm not going to turn it on if it is such a switch like that. Yeah, do? I do. I do. I absolutely do. I, I, I check, I call it checking the temperature of the room, checking, what, where do people, where are people, are they, are they in a good mood or are they in a bad mood? What about you though? 
What if huh? you wake up? What if you wake up and you're like, eh, I'm just not feeling it today. Does that ever happen? Yes. Yes. Yes, it does. And, um, but the, when you're in business for yourself, Josh, there we don't go. have time. We don't have time to wallow. <laughs> it's true. You know, I, I owned a coin laundry for 20 years as a side hustle. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you're 20, very nice lady, regular customer for 19 of the 20 years I was there. Always had a nice word to say to me, just a nice lady. She said, Jim, I lost a quarter in this, in this washer. And I said, madam, you know, I got to tell you, at this point, I just don't care anymore. I said, here's the quarter. She said, I think you better sell your business. <laughs> and I said, I think you're right. And six months later, it was gone. <laughs> hmm. You just, sometimes it just, but when you're in business for yourself, Josh, when my client calls up and, you know, I've got my phone on uh, mute next to me here and uh, I've got three phone calls. I've got to call them and I've got to be positive. I've got to help them out. You know that, you know, we, we can't, we can't go, you know, I don't feel like talking to you today, you know, Drury. <laughs> now, Josh, go away. We can't. What are but, some that's, of the but that's the advantage of being in business for yourself. Exactly. And ideally, you, you find yourself more in the moment and uh, positive outlook than not. What sure. do you do throughout your day from morning to night that helps you uh, stay in that momentum? What routines do you put in place that help? One of the things is, you know, if, you, if you're working by yourself, I'm assuming you're working by yourself. Is that a safe assumption? Yes. Well, so, so do I. You know, I work from my home. I have worked from my home since I got out of grad school. So I've always, I've only had an office for like 12 months. And um, so the house is my office, but I get a little nuts sometimes just talking on the phone, sending emails. So I'll go out for lunch just to be around some people, you know, go to the grocery store, go to the bank. I just need to have some interaction with people. Uh, otherwise I get a little, little crazy. You know, when uh, Supreme Commander comes home from work and... <laughs> Supreme <yeah>. Commander. <laughs> Love it. And, uh, you know, I, I could be like Chatty Cathy. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and she's had a hard day. She does 10-hour days. And, uh, you know, Jim, just please let me uh, unwind here. So that's how I, my day is. Sometimes I just have to leave. I just have to get away. Step away. Step away. Hmm. It's okay. Do you, you already said that, excuse me, that um, you believe everything happens for a reason. And I love that because that's actually one of the questions that I typically ask. And I'm so glad you touched upon it. I also happen to believe that not only does everything happen for a reason, it's also our responsibility to find the meaning, more importantly, within it. I agree with that comment. I absolutely agree with that comment. What does it mean? <sighs> Why, why did I have five, like almost epiphanies before I took a first step on the Camino? Why did I have those five? What was that, what was going on in the world? I'm not a mystic. I'm not a religious fellow. It was almost like there's this magical hand guiding, guiding me and, and, and other things that would happen in my life. Like, like when I talked to the woman about 
getting a, a license to teach continuing education. Why did she say to me, well, why don't you start your own school? I mean, I feel that, wow. I mean, what, what brought that on? Had I not made that phone call, Josh, my life would be completely different today. Something, I hate to sound spiritual or mystic, but it's almost like it was predestined. I almost love it. Like it, was, it was almost like it was predestined. And other things that have happened in my life, I'm going, why did that happen? There's got to be a reason. Don't know what it is all the time, but I'm glad it did happen. Maybe it wasn't a good thing. Maybe it was a bad thing. But either way, I'm glad it happened because you still learn. You know, someone said, hey, on that uh, business that didn't work, what'd you learn? I said, you know what I learned? I learned, don't do that again. <laughs> That's what I learned. Okay, we move on. But <laughs> it's just the way it is. What do you believe happens when it's all over? Oh, gosh. Part of me uh, thinks that that's it. Part of me thinks, I mean, what we do here, that's it. And then it's done. Part of me believes in some type of afterlife. And that's some kind of afterlife. I don't know what that something is. Um, it kind of goes along with why things happen to Josh or anyone else who would be listening to this. Is, was there something else out there that's guiding your life, my life, and one of your who was ever watching? Is there, is there some type of magical hand? Don't know. I don't know. Guess we're going to find out. We all find out at some point. But uh, I'm going to make the most and have the most fun that I can while I'm here. And, uh, you know, enjoy my business, enjoy my friends, enjoy talking to Josh Carey whenever you want. And, uh, and uh, we just go that. on. Yeah, we just go on. I love connecting. I, I love connecting with people, uh, which I think is evident, which is why I embrace this format and this medium of, uh, of podcasts so, so strongly because it, it, it affords me that luxury of just, you know, having this kind of uh, intimacy, this session with so many different people. I agree. I, I, have, I envy you. I don't have time to put, put together a podcast. <laughs> I hear you. I also like, like connection. I also love, I love collaboration. And I come from the um, acting and film background. I spent 15 years pursuing that field. And you realize very quickly that that whole industry is all collaboration. Whether it's a solo show that you see a one performer, believe me, there's like a hundred literal people that have come together artistically, creatively, spiritually, financially to make that happen. And I just love collaboration and what everybody's contribution is. Right, right. So your film background, acting background? That is right. Radio TV for me. Oh, yeah. I, wow. There you go. Um, yes. And those were, those were two of the, uh, the, less, the less mediums for me. I did a lot of stage in New York and um, a lot of comedy stage and um, uh, actually musical theater trained 
early on until I realized that, all right, acting, singing, and dancing, two out of the three aren't my strengths. So okay. I'll just go... <laughs> I'll just go with the stage performer and uh, and and writing and uh, go go that route and then and then some film. I get it. I can see that in you, Josh. I can see oh. that in you. Well, thank you. And you too, radio and TV. What kind of um, what formats? Uh, I always enjoyed radio. I always enjoyed radio. Mm. Uh, that was just me. That was just me. Yeah. Uh, but when I started, uh, you know. Cornerstone, the online continuing education school for, for auctioneers, I had to relearn how to make a video and how to, I mean, I had to learn how to run a camera again. Oh my Lord, I thought I was going to die. I thought my head was going to explode a few times. Mm. And then the software, I had to learn how to do the software. You know, people think that you just turn on a camera and off you go. And they think, you know, oh, you do it with your camera. No, no. And they think the lighting is just a piece of cake. And, uh, yeah, but I, I enjoy it, and the videos, you know, they get better the more you do. Oh, exactly. They get, they get better and better. You know, this was my fourth uh, season that just ended, and uh, they're, they're better than the first ones, and the lighting's better, the quality is better, the editing is better, everything is better. So I, I love that you have a continuing education school for auctioneers. Talk about a niche. How important is that? <laughs> A niche, right? All right, we're going to start it off at 100 and go, Josh. <laughs> First of all, I'm a big fan. I, I love, I, I feel like I can just spend all day and I don't, get, I don't get to auction houses quite enough. I don't remember the last time I was, but I would sit and I'd listen to an auctioneer all day. Go ahead. Okay, so what happened was this. In 12 states, auctioneers have to take continuing education. Attorneys have to take continuing education. Um, other uh, professions have to take, realtors have to take continuing education to renew their license. So in 12 states in the, in the country, wow. auctioneers have to take, we call it CE, okay? Sure. But no one was offering it online. And that's what the lady downstate told me. And I said, I can do this because of my radio and TV background. So I started writing classes, wrote classes on millennials, I wrote classes on, you know, you can never know enough people. I did a class on Facebook. I did one on millennials that changed my life in another direction. All for so, auctioneers. All for auctioneers. The idea here is that can I give them some information that's either going to uh, help them make money or save money? Illinois, you have to talk about ethics. Everyone, everybody has to take an ethics class. People have taken so many ethics classes. I always say that you, you, if you've taken five ethics classes, you've got a one-way ticket to heaven. Whatever your heaven is, God bless you. Uh, we have to take one on uh, auction law. And so I did one on Illinois tax responsibilities for auctioneers this year. So that's, those are the classes that uh, I put together. So my next one is uh, going to be six hours of basic negotiation skills. I'm a certified negotiation expert. Wow. So yeah, so I'm going to put together a class on negotiation skills because in an auction, when he's, you know, when I'm up on the block, I need 100 over here, now quarter, now half over there, now 75 in the back, 200 new bidder. You're negotiating. <laughs> yes. I don't even know. I, I'm telling you, I'm such a fan. Like, it, it's just so crazy. Because then I watch and it's like, they're like raising this, they're going like this. How do you feel about those, those like, you know, auction, uh, auction shows on, on, on cable right now? 
Oh, I watched them all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. They're so addictive. I love them. Um, how did you, how did you personally get into, I, I mean, it seems like something that I don't, you, you either, how, did, I understand. How, did, how does one get to be an auctioneer? <laughs> And can you learn that, or does it just have to, you know? No. Okay. First, uh, let's answer the yeah. first question. How I did so I get many questions? How did I get there? Josh, my professional career up to a point was in medical sales. I had mm. spent 25 years in, in medical sales. I wound up working for a medical auction company. Mm. And I was spending a lot of time out your way in Manhattan, calling in New Jersey, calling on hospitals to help them dispose of excess medical equipment. Aha, uh -huh. hospital beds, um, EKG machines, MRIs, beds, you name it, bed pans. They always have surplus merchandise that have outlived their usefulness. Because, uh, you know, the new doctor, come, here's, a, here's an example. I was in Indianapolis at this hospital, and I walked into their warehouse, and it was about 25 feet long, came out about four feet, and it was stacked up about 10 feet. Boxes of surgical instruments. And I, I just kind of looked my mouth open and going, what? Well, what happened is over the many years, Dr. Josh was hired as a surgeon. Dr. Josh uses the XYZ surgical instruments. So the hospital buys Josh, Dr. Josh, all the XYZ medical instruments. Well, Dr. Jim shows up because Dr. Josh has left. Now I use only use ABCs. Well, they still have the XYZs. <laughs> Over the years, they just kept them. And they were all good. They just need to be cleaned and sterilized. Sure. I see so, where this is going. So they're so, happy to get the phone call from you. Oh, I would go in, and it was like, for me, it was like Christmas Eve. And, okay, I'm, what would you like to do? I'll take them all. And we, we'd bring all this stuff back to Chicago and have a general auction. In Manhattan, I was at every major hospital in Manhattan. I was at there. I was in warehouses in the Bronx where they told me don't go outside even to uh, have a cup of coffee. Yeah. Just stay inside. And I could see Yankee Stadium down the road. They said just stay inside. <laughs> okay. And oh. the driver, I used the private car service. You call me, but don't wait for me outside. <laughs> okay, all right. So what? That's how I wound up in the medical auction business. And then one thing led to another. I went to auctioneer school two weeks. Josh, in some respects, it was harder than grad school. <laughs> it was from eight in the morning until nine at night. What else is the, what is the skill and what are you actually doing sort of behind the scenes that we're not aware of opposed to just taking the bids in real time? Are you doing, is there, is there prep work is, as the auctioneer? What else are you doing? Well, that is absolutely correct. That's a great assumption. The, uh, the, the, bid calling, if you will, only yeah. compromises maybe maybe 3% of what an auctioneer does. There you go. It's, you have to organize, you have to collate, you have to think about, okay, am I going to start with this or am I going to start with this? Mm. You know, the, au the auction's like, you know, 
like an audience in a performance. You go up, you bring them down. You bring them back up, you bring them back down. It's the same idea in an auction. And then you need to understand valuation. What's that clock behind, uh, Josh? What is, that, what is that going to be worth? Where should I, there you go. Where should I start the bidding? <laughs> so and, you have to also know, you have to be able to evaluate and appraise this. Is that you? Sometimes you're bringing an outside appraiser, depending on what's going on. Right. And, um, and it depends on yeah. the item. It depends yeah. on the item. You know, like if you're, you're probably watching Barrett Jackson, you watch Barrett Jackson, the uh, car auction. Of course. Oh, uh, yeah. So do I. <laughs> we have parties. Okay. <laughs> and because I'm the auctioneer, they're always asking me, what is that worth? Yeah, what yeah. do I know? <laughs> <laughs> what do I know? Yeah, what do I know? Um, so the auctioneer needs to know where to start, that, start the wow. bidding. And, um, and he, has to, uh, he has to engage the audience. He, he just can't, he can't be there with a dour look on his face. He has to be smiling and joke around and, you know, talk. It's talking to the audience. It's, you know, if you're doing stand-up comedy, I, I always tell people that, an auctioneer has to understand comedy wow. and drama. So you're a performer, no doubt. You are a performer. Absolutely. They are looking at you, how you're dressed, how you're talking to people, how you're engaging with people before the auction. And they'll return for you. Yes. Right? Yes. yes. And there's some little tricks. For example, you know, if I, if I saw you out in the audience and I, I was going to be the auctioneer, I'd walk... Hi, I'm Jim Drury. I'm the auctioneer. Hi, I'm Josh Carey. Hi, Josh. How you doing? Um, we just chat a little bit. You know, thank you for coming to the auction and uh, sit in the front. So if you bid, I'd say, hey, Josh, thanks for your bid. All right. And what have I done? You call I've me by you, name. You I've acknowledge called, me. There you go. There, that's absolutely what I do. Wow. When I do a benefit auction in front of 1,000, 1,500 people, I try to talk to as many people as I can. Because you just never know. I talked to, oh, there's persons from here and that. You know, I want to thank the person from Allstate Insurance over there. Thank you for your bid. I mean, I try to recognize everyone because everyone likes to be recognized. And really, for those listening, if you haven't put two and two together, this is so applicable. No matter what you do in life, no matter what your job, career, or position is, these are fundamentals, right, James? Oh, God, they are fundamentals. Everyone likes to hear, hear their name mentioned. You know, they just do. I mean, we, all of us do. Oh, we're being recognized. That is great. I feel good. And it's fundamental life skills. And, you know, it's been going on for, for a lot of, lot of time, hundreds of thousands of years. Let's go back to the idea of connecting with people because that was the, the theme and the basis for the show we recorded um, sure. where you could never know enough people. I mentioned in that episode that I, I had a very difficult time connecting with people, feeling connected with people, but I was a talker and I liked to be around people. It just came, it, it just used to come off as inauthentic and desperate, I think, because I wasn't, I wasn't secure in myself. Is, so is, is that, is, am, am I reading that correctly? Do you find that you have to sort of be confident and secure before you can authentically and successfully connect? For me, Josh, is I want to start the conversation, but I don't want to dominate the conversation. I want them to talk. 
I want them to talk and I want to look at them while they're talking to me. I'm not taking this out. Mm. I am there to talk to Josh. I'm not there to send text messages and I'm, I want to hear what you have to say. I want to know your position. I want to know how you feel about something. Why do you feel that way? That's an interest. What are you doing right now? Is this an interest? This is an interesting project you're on. I'm truly interested in what you're doing. I shut up and people respond to the fact that you're listening to them. And I say, that's interesting, Josh. You're kidding, Josh. I say their name at least three times. And the, the response back is, man, Drury guy, you know, you should go talk to him. I don't talk. I listen. <laughs> and, you know, we need to here, here's my card. Give me your card. We need to discuss this further, you know, and I, cause I, you know, I may be having be tugged to go over here or you could be being tugged over there. Hey, let's follow up. And I want to show you something. I'm going to step over here just for a second. I'll wait. No okay. problem. Take your time. Oh, no, 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 no. So I, uh, I take out these cards. I don't know if you can read that. There we can. Uh, you okay. can never know enough people. So I'll, have this in my coat pocket and uh, I'll write you a note. Hmm. I will write you a note as a follow-up. Uh, recognizing that you and I spoke, we talked about topic X and we might have some synergy, as I mentioned before, just staying in touch. Hell, I, I, I apologize for sometimes swearing. That's um, okay, James. It's okay. Um, I, I do get the, um, I kept business cards from the seventies and I finally got rid of a lot of them about five years ago because I reached out to call someone. They said, I've had this number for six years. I said, Oh, never mind." <laughs> That's the other thing, Josh. How many people do you have out there that you say, you know, I wonder what happened to so-and-so. They're the person that could help me with this quandary that I have. Do you pick up the phone and call them? I do. <laughs> I don't care. I, because why should I beat my head against the wall if I think there's somebody out there who could help me? And when I call them up, I'll say, hey, Jim Drury, how you doing? Hey, Jim, what's going on? Well, I've got this question, and you are the most qualified person that I could think of that I know that could possibly help me. Even if they can't help me, I've learned something. I learned they can't help me. But what I've really done is, wow, he thought enough of me. He's kept my card all these years. He's thought enough of me to pick up the phone and call me. Wow, hope I can maybe help him out someday. I think so many people, me especially, I'm talking for myself here. Um, I used to reject that notion because uh, I feared rejection. And I was like, ah, they don't want to hear from me. They have no time for me. So that's got to be a, a first mental hurdle you have to overcome. Well, you know, there's the old story about the, uh, the guy who gets a flat tire in a rural area and he realizes he doesn't have a jack and he sees a farmhouse down the road. He starts walking. Well, I'll bet he has, that farmer has a jack. Well, you know, that farmer, by the time he gets there, he goes, oh, the hell with that farmer. I'm not going to knock on his door. He wouldn't help me anyway. You just talked yourself into it. <laughs> and I just talked myself out of it. <laughs> and, and that's how I, I look at it. Oh, they can't help me? 
darn. Okay, well, I'll move on. Hey, good talking to you. So, you know, what's going on the fam? Just, just a little small talk. Well, look, I know I, I'm sorry I bothered you. Take care of yourself. If you need anything, call me. If you think I could help you. But why not? Exactly. Why not? Fear of rejection. Like, what? What is that? It's not about you anyway. That's well, you, Josh, rejection, you should be the, you should have a couple PhDs in how to deal with, with rejection with your background. (laughs) Oh, exactly. Especially in the uh, um, entertainment industry, you're saying it's all rejection. Oh, yes. Yes. My my neighbor's an actor. Yeah. 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 I told him, I said, so you're constantly unemployed except for those 30 seconds of sheer terror. Correct. (laughs) Correct. And then what do they say? When you hear a no, it just means not now. That's correct. That's correct. It's not a permanent no. Right. And it's never about us. We put all this, this weight and this spotlight on, they are rejecting me or they're not, or they're saying no to me. It's nothing to do with you. That's right. That's Josh. What you're, you're, you're preaching to the choir here. Here we go. Here we go. (laughs) Preach it. Right. Choir. (laughs) this is great all right well um i'm gonna leave you with this final question james drury how would you like to be remembered i would like to be remembered as uh someone who uh always tried to put a smile on someone's face someone who uh, uh never took advantage of anyone and someone who uh truly cared about people I mean, that's about all I can do. That's about Uh, it. Absolutely brilliant. Well, there you go. That's going to wrap this episode of After the Show, After the Hidden Entrepreneur Show show with our guest, James Drury. Absolute pleasure, James. How do you feel? What'd you think? Josh, if you want to continue this conversation, reach out. I'd love to. I had a good time. I had a great time. I had a great time. It's, it was fun to talk to someone who has been rejected as many times as me. <laughs> it's a badge, right? It's an honor, right? Darn right, it's, it's a badge of honor. <laughs> right, what do they say? That if you're not failing um, often, you're not, you're not doing something right. You're not, I don't know, but you got to. You have to fail, you have to be rejected. You, absolutely, because you learn more from failure than you, I think you learn more from failure than from success. <laughs> I love it. Well, there you go. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you, kind sir. We will certainly have more of this dialogue. I appreciate you. I appreciate everybody tuning in. Until we do it again, go get them. Take care, Josh. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.